again. Uh, good to see you all. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 19. It's the second book of the Bible. We're going to read chapter 19, the first nine verses, and chapter 20. We're not going to read all Ten Commandments, just the beginning, the introduction here. But what we've been up to for the last several um, months is just looking at the big story of the Bible and, and charting a course on how do you read through this massive book as one big unified story that, that leads to Jesus, that, that, that even when you read in the Old Testament, it's communicating to us today uh, about how to follow Jesus and, and what God is up to in the world and, and how that shapes and forms us as a people. And so we're going to camp out at Mount Sinai uh, Israel is stuck at Mount Sinai for the next like 70 chapters. I'm not going to preach all 70 chapters, but um, from Exodus 19 all the way through into Numbers chapter 10 is a whole lot of instruction and events that are really significant and important. So let's read this together and we'll, we'll start this, the Mount Sinai stories. This is God's word in Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from the Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. And then chapter 20, the first three verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today uh, in love. Uh, let, we can trust him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, show us this morning uh, the, the beauty, uh, the, the goodness, the uh, the truth that, that we belong body and soul to you, and there's no safer place to be. And so as we come to grips with who we are, I pray that, that it would then drive us out into the world, willing to be Jesus' witnesses in the world, that we as a community might be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, this holy nation that you've gathered us to be. And for that, we need your spirit to cry out in our hearts, Abba, Father, that we might be moved by your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
in the story of Exodus, and as we read, Israel has been set free from slavery in Egypt, um, and it's beautiful stories in the beginning of Exodus as you hear how Israel was seen by God in their suffering and in their misery and how God himself came down through Moses to rescue them from slavery to sin and death through the blood of a lamb, which pointed to the blood of Jesus. I got to see God's new creation power as he split the Red Sea and led Israel safely through on dry land. And, and now on the other side of the Red Sea event, they are now God's people. And that's, that's our story as well, right? God, sees, God the Father sees our misery, sees us enslaved to sin and death, and he has compassion. He sent his son Jesus, the, the Lamb of God who takes, the sin of the, takes away the sin of the world, and through Jesus' resurrection, God's new creation power, we, we belong to God now. And we're set free to serve. And, and so here we are, and the question is for Israel, why did God save you? Right? What are you here to do and who are you to be in the world? That's the question that, that we all have. And when you come to faith in Jesus, what now? Right? Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, what do we, how then shall we live, as Francis Schaeffer asked. And so that's what's happening in Exodus 19. Israel's about to tell Israel who they are and what they are to do and how they should live together. And um, these are some heart-meltingly sweet words, but they are also, in, uh, how do you put it, offensive to our modern ears if you start to talk about these things with our neighbors. Right? I mean, I've had this conversation several times in the, in the community where folks will say, I just don't need a God who thunders his law down from a mountain to tell me to be a good person. Right? And I, I know that's frustrating for some, but the, the either greater offense, I think, that's here in the text, the offense underneath a God who would thunder his law and say, this is how you must live, um, it's right there in verse 5 of chapter 19. When God says, you shall be my treasured possession, you belong to me. In other words, God is saying to Israel, uh, your freedom is in belonging to me. You are not your own, right? It's very different from the culture we live in where from birth we've been catechized and taught that your greatest freedom is being your own, belonging to yourself, and even now I'll use words like you have to live out your own truth. Right? No, the, the God of Mount Sinai says the good news that I am going to persuade Israel of and persuade Jesus' followers of is you belong body and soul to someone else, to the living God who loves you more than you can imagine. And so let's look at this story as, as God is going to confront uh, our ways of thinking. Um, can ask these questions. Who are we? What are we here for? And then where do we get the strength to live up to what God is calling us to do and be? And so, who are we as God's people? And you know what the first thing on the top of Mount Sinai uh, that, that God thunders down? Right? You're, you're reading chapter 20 and, and the people are gathered around the base of this mountain. The mountain is thundering. There's lightning blasts. The mountain is, is just covered by the fiery, awesome, terrifying presence of the, God, of the Lord. There are loud trumpet blasts. The mountain itself is shaking. It's this dramatic theophany for a whole nation. 
God showing up and says the people are terrified. And the very first thing God speaks is part of the, the, the commandment. You know what he says? Right, what is this terrifying God going to tell me that I have to do? The first thing he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. <laughs> That's not how we think of the Ten Commandments, is it? I mean, I, I think of the Ten Commandments of here's what I got to do or God's going to curse me, right? He's going to come after me with a big stick. No, the very foundation of this relationship that God has with Israel is not based on what they must do. It's what, based on what God has already done for them, and it's part of the Ten Words. I mean, some people say it's part of the Ten Commandments, part of that first commandment, right? It says, I am the Lord your God, and you are my treasure, is all wrapped up in there. That you are God's treasured possession, to use the words of uh, Exodus 19.5. Right? And so that's the beauty of who are you. Right? God says, you are mine. I love you. You're free. I, I've saved you from, from slavery to sin and suffering and misery. Um, I'm with you. That's all wrapped up right in the Ten Commandments, right? That God has fulfilled his promises. Because you remember in Exodus 6, what does the Lord say? I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and judgment. That's great power. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And so the first thing God law thunders is mission accomplished. Right? You're saved. I have carried you on eagle's wings to this point. Right? And so this is what so many of us get wrong about God's law. And, and even just we walk out of the building and we completely forget. Right? We tend to base our whole identity and relationship with God on, our, on how we're doing. You know, Using the, the Ten Commandments as a checklist of whether God is justified in being mad at me or not. Or what do I got to do to look good or fake it till I make it, so to speak, in order to be saved, to get God to bless and fight for us? And that is not how the Ten Commandments are structured. The very foundation is, God, I have delivered you from slavery. You are mine. All right, you see it in 19.5. Look at the order. God says, I have carried you on eagle's wings to this point. That's a beautiful portrait of the strong carrying the weak. And Israel has just been along for the ride. Right? That's grace. They did nothing to contribute to their freedom. They were carried. They were fought for. They were fed. And the narratives in the desert we spoke uh, skipped over in 15 to 18. That's what happened. They, miraculous food in the desert. Water springing from a rock. Uh, they were, God used the heavens themselves to fight for them in battle. You were carried on eagle's wings. What have you done to get here? And after that, it says, now if you obey and keep my covenant and obey my voice, right? It's grace, therefore obey. If you are saved, you are treasured, therefore obey. Or as Jesus would famously say, if you love me, keep my commandments. After already saying, I have loved you and I've come to lay down my life for you. In John chapter 13, and so who are you? 
Well, according to Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, you are saved, you are free, we are God's treasured possession. And that's how the law begins. You've contributed nothing (laughs) to your salvation. It's a gift of grace. Second, it says in 19.5, we're privileged, right? God says, if you obey my voice, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And God is showing Israel, uh, I own everything. And the great privilege you have is the you, Israel, lowly Israel, are the one who has my attention. Right? I've set my affection on you. It's pretty astounding. Right? So we're, we're treasured, we're privileged. And that's, that's, we see that privilege just by being called God's treasured possession. Right? Here it sounds like it's conditional. Deuteronomy 7 is going to say, no, you are God's treasured possession because it's, it's just the way it works. Right? If you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. That's, that's the, way, the, the logic here in, in 19.5. But when, when Israel is called God's treasure, it's this great uh, image Right? You get the idea that the king, he's wealthy, and in an ancient world, the king owned everything. Right? He's, he has all the wealth. I mean, you can picture a treasure room. Uh, my kids were just watching Aladdin. Right? You can picture the Cave of Wonders filled with treasure and jewels and gold. And um, So often, the way that worked for the king is his treasure was wrapped up in land. Right? It was real estate. And what this particular word for treasure means for an ancient king is it's his special, particular, private possession, something that he delighted in to take with him wherever he went, to to show it off to the world, so to speak. Um, It's this idea that God's people, they're they're not real estate. Uh, We're God's special, movable treasure that he can take with him. Out of all the nations in the world, Right? It's like God, pulls out, God the Father pulls out his wallet and says, here's my treasure, and you got the nation of Israel. Right? It's an astonishing thing to say, that we are God's investment, his wealth. Right? So that's, that's Israel's identity at the foot of Mount Sinai, that God is pushing into them, and he's going to give them responsibilities for sure, and that leads us to that next question, is uh, what are we here for? And in chapter 19, verse 6, you get Israel's mission statement. Uh, It says, um, If you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is Israel's great commission to go out among the nations, if you will. Um, That God is sending his treasured, his loved, privileged people to go be faithful out in the nation, surrounded by their neighbors, to be obedient, keep the covenant. Um, And so you can put it this way, that that Israel is the way that God will make himself known to the nations. So they're saved. It's a beautiful thing to be treasured, but God has a plan for them. Right? So let's break it down. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Because it's the only time this phrase is used in the Old Testament, and it does sound strange. Um, But at the core, 
of what it means to be a priest, it's to bring God to the people and the people to God. It's to, to represent God to the, to the world. And so the priests were to mediate God's presence, uh, to, to bring others into God's presence, and to do that through the tabernacle system, as we're going to see eventually. Right? They were like mediators. And so Israel as a nation, collectively as a community, as a society, um, they were to go out into the world to bring God's presence to the nations. Right? And the land of Israel was their home base, but they were, they were sent to be God's representatives to the world, that, that it would mediate his blessing to all the world. It's pretty astounding. Right? To show off God's nearness to their neighbors. Look at how close God is with them, and look at what he's done. He will be your God if you will come. <laughs> right? It's mission. Right? And not only will they be to be a kingdom of priests, but they're to be this holy nation. And it's hard. You don't see it in the English. They should have a little footnote there, but it's, it's a, the, nation, the word nation there is a hyperlink, a callback to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. That, that Abraham, you're going to be a great nation so that through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Israel is called that particular nation. Right? So Israel is carrying on Abraham's missionary calling so that all the earth may know the Lord by virtue of being a holy nation by how they live. Right? And so to be holy, right, what's, good, what's good different about Israel? The only thing different about Israel and the rest of the nations is they have God with them. Right? That's what it means to be holy, to be, to be set apart, to be marked, uh, to be distinct. Right? And that's, that gives context for all of the commandments. That's what we're going to talk about, right? So Israel is to go, right? God says, I love you, now I want you to be strange, uh, among the nations. Show the world what life looks like under the, the flourishing reign of the Lord, this God who sets people free from slavery. Go be a nation that's different because you obey God's voice and you keep his commandments and you keep his covenant. All right, so if you turn to Deuteronomy 4 for a moment, you can hear the logic of of what God is after through this whole community, and then we'll apply it to ourselves here. <clears throat> yeah, Deuteronomy 4, 6 to 10. Right, God's talking about the law and the Ten Commandments and all these other uh, ceremonial laws as well, and he talks about this. He says, if you keep them and do them, that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, that is the nations, who when they hear all these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and make them known to your children. Right? 
you, get, you can hear what it's saying, right? Here's the logic. Right? You should keep God's commandments because we should obey his voice. But why? What, what are we showing off to the world as God's community? The Lord would, that they would see that the Lord is with us, his nearness. What other God is so close that he hears you when you cry out for help? Right. I just saw a prayer request or a, a praise come through from Ukraine this past week uh, through some missionary contacts. And basically what happened is these guys are praying as they're in a bombed out city and saying, Lord, we need to see that you support us. And, w- and one of these bombs came through their house split into three parts, and the most explosive part of the shell that would have taken out most of a block landed in a room where this person was praying along with other leaders in the church, and it didn't go off. (laughs) Right? What other God is so near to them that he hears them when they cry and answers their prayers? I mean, that's a really dramatic answer. But that's, that's part of our testimony is we pray God hears of course, the other part of this in Deuteronomy 4 is that the, our neighbors would be struck by the beauty of just, look at how great God's way of life is. This is a completely different way of being human, and I'm, I'm, I want to be like that. That they would see the way we use money, uh, the way we protect life, the way we structure our families and relate to one another, the way we use power to serve rather than to harm. Right? Israel was to be different. What other God is, gives you such righteous rules? All right. I mean, you think about money. Don't steal. And the inverse is, thou shalt be generous. And uh, that's how the laws would work themselves out. They would tithe, uh, giving 10% of their income to provide and share with the poor and, and the priests. Um, right? the, the righteous in the Bible so often are those who are described this way as those who are willing to make themselves poor um, for the sake of the flourishing of the community. They, they disadvantage themselves. And the wicked are those who take to only advantage themselves. But if you add up all the commandments in the Old Testament to give to the poor, to the immigrant, to support the priests and Levites over, over a period of years, 23% of their income was to be given away every year. That is a radically generous community. Giving away, um, making sure the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner was cared for, regardless of their ethnicity. That's, that's a different community. Right? Or even the way they use power. I mean, God was constantly saying through these Sinai narratives, um, by the way, you remember what it's like to be bully, depressed, miserable in Egypt, to be a stranger, to be an outsider, to be a foreigner. Therefore, don't use your power now to harm the foreigners among you. You should care for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a brief, two brief examples, right? That is a radically different community. That's what it's looking at and trying that we are to be a holy nation, a community that lives differently. Right? All in the midst of the nation so that they too might see it. Right? I, I like Harvey Kahn. He was a missionary to uh, Korea. And he says one of the best uh, analogies to describe all this, it's like the church is a model home. We're God's demonst- we are God's demonstration community of the rule of Jesus 
in the midst of an unbelieving world. That, that Jesus, the kingdom developer, has already begun building new housing, that is the church, and he invites the world to come into the, his home to take a look at what the world will be like and the way we love each other. Right? And that the church is the occupant of that model home, inviting the neighbors to come in and, and, and meet Jesus and evangelism or where the signs are up and say, come in and look around, see what God is up to. Right? That's a big call. That, that is bigger than one person. Right? You, can't, you can't be a lone ranger Christian in this, this picture. I mean, can we live up to that just by hanging out on Sundays? Um, it's a challenge because we have to be living, spending, spending our time together as we gather back from our, our COVID separation. Uh, it's a, it takes intentionality. Loads of people saying, everybody in the community saying, I can't believe God loves us like this. We're in. <laughs> right? I've got some skin in the game. I'm willing to bear with you if you will bear with, with me. Right. Takes the community of faith, gripped by grace, saying, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to keep your voice. I want to obey your voice, keep your commandments to show others Jesus. And so, that is part of the call on us. And that, that's the challenge, I think, of this text for us is that we want to read it through, okay, what do I have to do? And, and this is saying, no, what do y'all have to do? <laughs> to, right? I mean, think about it this way. If, if we're to be a light in the darkness, as Jesus says, what's going to shine brighter in the dark? One lonely candle or a whole bunch together? A multitude coming together, shining brightly in the darkness so that the world will see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Now, how does Israel respond to all of this, right? Several times they say it here in 19, Exodus 19.5, or 197 and 8 there, and they say it in Exodus 24, they say, yeah, we got this. <laughs> Everything the Lord has said, we shall do. Except, once they hear God speak in chapter 20, and all the Ten Commandments are famously laid out, and they, they see the thunder and the lightning, and they hear the trumpet and the mountain smoke, smoking. The people are so terrified, they say to Moses, we don't want God to speak to us ever again. <laughs> right? I mean, Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God talk to us, because we're going to die. It's really hard to be a priest representing a God when you don't want to get close to him. And that's not going to be fixed until the New Testament. Right? Israel is supposed to obey God's voice, but they can't handle hearing God's voice. And that leads to our last question here. Right? We're called to be God's witnesses in the world. Uh, as God's treasured people, how do you get the strength and courage to live up to this calling? All right? Because if, if we're reading Exodus 20 right should terrify us as well um, by God's design that we would fear him and obey his voice. But it's terrifying because you're being shown, we are being shown what our hearts are like. Right? God gives the law and says, here's what you must do. And if you hear what each and every command is actually calling you to do, it, it will shake you. It will terrify you. 
Right? So think about this. Love God more than anything else in the world. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? That slays 100% of humans right there. Right? No idols before me. Don't love anything in creation uh, more than the living God. Don't give him more priority or any, any kind of centrality that God alone deserves. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. If you're going to now represent God in the world, um, don't misrepresent him to your neighbors. Right? Don't blow it. You know, don't, don't have that moment where they look at you and say, you did what? I thought you were a Christian who hasn't had that experience. Right? Keep the Sabbath. Rest one day in seven from your work. Be somebody who knows that they belong to God and trust that God will provide and let him structure your time. He is the Lord of your time. Right? Honor your parents. Submit to the authorities in your life as if you were submitting to God himself. Don't murder do everything you can to protect life wherever life is, the, the life of your neighbor. And Jesus would go so far as they don't even call them names in anger because that's murder in the heart. Uh, don't commit adultery. Sex is between, in marriage, between a man and a woman. Uh, Jesus would go so far as saying don't even want to break that commandment. Don't lust in your heart. Don't long for somebody else. Right. Uh, don't steal. The alternative is be generous. Uh, don't bear false witness. May your culture, your society, the way you relate to one another be grounded on the truth and nothing but the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And lastly, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, his donkey, right, his wife. All of a sudden, the 10th commandment, what that does is it just internalizes all those external behaviors to saying, don't want what is not yours. Rejoice in God's generosity to you. Right? That shows you what you and I are actually like. Does it feel like God's shaking you and shaking out your priorities? I mean, that's so often what happens is folks read that and say, this makes me feel like I have to be perfect. I don't like that feeling. It's too hard. It's too unrealistic. It's going to take away what I love most. It's going to feel like suffering. And that brings us to the purpose of God's law, which is again to show us, yes, you need a Savior. Not only do you need God to claim you by grace alone, but you also need mercy. And that's the purpose of God's law. There's, there's more purposes, but for, our, for what we're looking at today, right, it's, it's showing you your need for a Savior your need for Jesus to restructure your life to that you want to do this. That you and I can honestly run to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. All right. Now, how does this stuff that we've been talking about lead us to Jesus? Right? If you're to draw near to God in order to represent his presence to the world, Israel couldn't do that. And as you read the story, and we're going to look at next week, um, their hearts are far from the God who set their love, his love on them. <laughs> um, they blow the first commandment in ex- right away. Right? Now, for us as Christians, we don't run to Mount Sinai. We don't run to the law 
to draw near to the Lord. The law is a pointer to where we go, <laughs> right? Because you remember who Jesus is, is what we've been talking about over and over again. Jesus is the Lord of the Exodus. He's the Lord of Mount Sinai. He's the lawgiver. And he's the lawgiver, the Lord of Mount Sinai, who became human, who came down to earth, who dwelt among us. And what happens when you run to Jesus and you hear him speak, it's the, it's the opposite effect of Sinai. Sinai, we hear God speak, we hear Jesus speak in thunder in the mountain. We say, I don't want anything to do with him. He's terrifying. I can't do that. But when Jesus came to speak, what did he say? My sheep hear my voice and they come. They're no longer afraid. See, what happens when you come to Jesus, you'll be shaken, but you won't fall apart because he's going to put you back together again. All right? Jesus, the Lord of Mount Sinai, came to live out the very law he gave. He came down as a human being to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, and he was shaken to, to death on a cross. Right? And he longed to hear God speak to him, and, and he didn't hear his voice on the cross. He, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so that when we hear the Lord command us, we don't have a reason to be afraid because we come to the Lord of mercy and we can hear him say, it is finished. You are mine. You are my chosen people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, as Peter says. That's how you know that you are treasured more than anyone else in, you know, anything else in all of creation. We are God's treasure. Look at who he died for on the cross. His people made up from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He died to have us. That's how we're privileged. And it takes away our fear of God's voice. We respect it for sure, but we no longer have to run away in fear. And this is, forms a community where we as God's chosen, treasured people called to bless the nations, to represent Jesus to the world, right? We say, I want to be a part of that because look at how much I've been loved, right? We're free because of grace to work together to form this beautiful grace, Jesus-relying community as well as being a law-keeping community, because we've seen this Jesus ready and willing to live and die for us. We live for him. Right. And so, to apply all this, right? First Peter 9, this is what he says. You are a chosen race. He's talking to the church now. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what Peter does is he grabs what God said to Israel long ago that they could not live up to and says, this is now true of the church. Right? And so that's who we are. We are Jesus' people. <laughs> Loved more than we can imagine. His treasured possession, his treasured people uh, sent out into the world. And so we have to get our minds wrapped around, one, how the commandments work, that you and I are only accepted in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. Um, 
We have been carried on eagle's wings. And it's because of that grace where I go, Lord, command me. And we do this together because you know you can't do it alone. And this is, this is I think, is the most confrontational part of this comforting text. Is <laughs> we need a community. God gathers us into community to, to represent him, to be his demonstration community to the world. Right? We get to show the world that, that obedience to Jesus isn't a burden, as Ed Welch says in our, our bulletin here. Right? Obedience to Jesus is showing the, the world another way of being human, that you can be human without a guilty conscience, uh, that you can have an unhindered uh, access to the living God all the way in, and you can have the pleasure of God's hospitality that we're going to experience next week as we eat and drink, and we have God's protection. He's guarding and keeping us for this salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And so... Something for us to pray for as a community as we regather and, and as we figure out how to do this thing again is, uh, God, what are you calling us to do? How can we get close enough where we rub elbows, where we have to actually rely on the Spirit and the gospel to be this holy nation, to be this treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests for Saratoga County? Um, and that, that requires more than just one person. That's, that takes a community and it takes God's spirit to do things that surprise us. And so we go. We are sent as God's treasure. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for your law that tells us we are loved. Uh, we were set free from slavery to sin and death. And I pray for us as a church that if there are those here who do not yet... Um, just understand the logic of the gospel that, that we are saved by grace alone. Therefore, we obey. Um, Lord, that you would show them Jesus and what he did uh, and how much they are treasured in his sight. And for all of us, Lord, that we, we need to have that reality soften our hearts to the point where we say, I, Lord, command me. I belong to you now. Uh, this is my only comfort in life and death, that I belong body and soul to you, Lord, our faithful Savior. So may that be in our DNA and in our hearts as we talk about you in the world, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.